8.46. We now um, continue this discussion over a controversy that is certainly storming proceedings at the United Nations. Uh, the Security Council may well be tainted somewhat by this. The General Assembly certainly has been dealing with it of late. That is the US decision to move its embassy to Jerusalem to recognize that city as the Israeli capital. And Zhang Huang, independent legal researcher with Law Quant LLC, has taken a special interest in this and comes in today to help us get up close on that matter. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. Thanks for coming in. Uh, so, just to recap, the UN General Assembly last week adopted a non-binding resolution, no real practical significance, but a lot of symbolic importance, condemning the United States for moving its embassy to Jerusalem or planning to do so. The vote was 128 in favour, massive majority. Nine were against. There were 35 abstentions, including the likes of Canada and Australia. We we touched on that when, when we did the interview earlier this week. Um, the significance that uh, an ally like Britain, for example, voted with the majority, but the likes of Canada and Australia chose to abstain. There were also, intriguingly, 21 no votes. Um, they don't count as abstentions, but people who decided this vote wasn't worthy of their attention, perhaps. Um, let's ask what happens next with Zhang Huang. And is the US really going to carry out its threat to um, hurt or implicitly hurt those countries who didn't go with it? Because that's a lot of countries. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, the threat was made at the level of President Trump and then UN ambassador, the US ambassador to UN, uh, Nikki Haley. So, you know, it basically calls into question how to take those words seriously. And in fact, right after the vote, you know, the spokespeople for the US uh, Department of uh, State as well as uh, White House kind of backpedal a little bit saying that, well, we're not really going to immediately cut funding, but we'll continue to look at it. Um, Nikki Haley, for her, on measure, she invited the missions for those na- nations that voted against abstentions and no votes, not the, the yes votes, obviously, for a party on uh, January 3rd. So, I mean, you know, I think United States, at least I mean, at the M- Ambassador Haley's level, tried to backpedal a little bit and then try to, do, you know, make uh, do some face-saving measures, measures, basically. But the cutting of aid to the UN and and for countries that did not side with the U.S. here, it does fit the America first policy of President Trump, doesn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, it absolutely plays to sort of the Republican base that President Trump likes to talk to. I mean, if you just, you know, if you ever have a chance to look at some, you know, clips of Fox News, for example, that covers, talks about UN, you know, it's universally condemnatory of so-called globalist uh, threat that U.S. faces. And in fact, both, you know, Ambassador Haley and President Trump was praised roundly for uh, you know, uh, you know, making such threat t- towards the UN and any nations that voted against the US. On the other hand, c- keep in mind among you know the top four or top five uh, aid getters for in the US front, you know, Egypt, uh, uh, Afghanistan, Jordan, uh, and uh, fourth one. I'm, I'm, I guess I need to look up. But all of these, uh, you know, the Muslim Arab countries actually voted, and actually Egypt sponsored a bill. And you know, out of its own national interest, it's not. It's not like the U.S. is going to cut aid to Egypt and Jordan, which is you know closest thing that U.S. has uh, as allies after Israel in the region. Mm. So I mean, you know. T- to, to actually carry out President Trump's threat against Egypt or Jordan will actually cut against what he's trying to accomplish in the Middle East. 
So you obviously agree with the the idea that this was mainly playing for the domestic audience. I mean, there's not really any reason for to be that bombastic about it. In fact, I mean, you know, U.S. is their money after all. Could they just say, you know, we are going to try to influence other countries' decisions, but do it do it in this very public way? Probably, actually, may a lot of countries dig in a bit more, especially uh, you know, countries with a significant domestic interest in the Palestinian issues. So, therefore, it probably backfired. If anything, I mean, in order to Uh, apply influence like this, they probably would have been better off, you know, doing a lot of you know backdoor channel communication rather than just coming out and making an open-ended threat like both uh, Ambassador Haley and President Trump had done. With Canada and Australia deciding to abstain, uh, you you would have perhaps expected and understood if South Korea had done the same, but South Korea went with the majority as well, along with Japan, North Korea, Russia, and China. We were talking about this earlier. Mm. So I mean, you know, one thing that we could think about is will there be any kind of you know retribution against you know, South Korea? But for one thing, South Korea doesn't get any aid from the U.S., so it's not that's not something that the U.S. could do. But could you uh, you know President Trump kind of you know look at the list of 128 countries and see South Korea and say, hey, they weren't with us in, in that UN vote. Possibly, but at the same time, you know, the other key US allies like Great Britain, France, Germany, and Japan have voted along with the majority. So, you know, I think the chances of, you know, adverse action from the US purely out of this one incident, I think is pretty small. But how might it affect the North Korea issue? I think something else is probably more of more concern is that, you know, what is exactly the worth of you know, the United States presence wars and, you know, the, the U.S. ambassador to U.N.'s wars, the Nick Haley's wars, in the sense that, you know, they basically made an empty threat. And that didn't really play well. And people sort of were taken aback by it, saying that, well, you know, you could link... You, our support with you um, based on the aid that you you provide us. But to come out in public like that and mm. to pressure us, make us look bad, I mean, you know, I understand that you're really trying to pl- play to your base, but, you know, I, you know, rest of the world is not the Republican base that President Trump and Nikki Haley play to. Why should we dance along with that? Mm. So it, it really makes the, you know, U.S. wars really hard to believe and, you know, go along with. And, you know, if you think, think along with, you know, suppose the six-party talks uh, happen again over the North Korean nuclear uh, issues within this U.S. administration, will the U.S. wars really hold true like previously or will other parties sort of say, well, this is Trump administration. How really can we believe them? If Israel feels emboldened by U.S. support, though, and if President Trump is prepared to take the risk to destabilize an already delicate balance in that region... Is he also prepared to go even further on North Korea? I mean, probably North Korea is something that he cares a little less about than Israel. I think, you know, just based on the people that he knows and personally have connections with, you know, a possible deal in the Middle East is something that he aspires to more than, you know, putting down North Korea, which I, I doubt that before he running for uh, president, he really th- thought too much about or had, you know, many donors talk to him about. So... I think priority-wise, I think Middle East will probably take precedence for President Trump and his advisors and North Korea. 
This right now is a huge topic. Do you think it will continue to be? Uh, or, or will some sort of status quo be established and return to a delicate balance and we just get used to uh, American embassy in Jerusalem? Well, to a certain extent, U.S. has already backpedaled, right? They, could, they actually do have consulate in Jerusalem. They could have just changed the sign and say, well, we're going to make this consulate a temporary embassy while we construct a new and better one. They haven't done that, which means that, you know, what President Trump has done was actually just declare Declaration, but has basically is continuing what the U.S. U.S. has done already. So it seems like you know people in the administration has sort of you know stopped President Trump taking that you know actual physical step, which would have galvanized the situation even more. I mean, the declaration by itself was a pretty big deal. But you know, U.S. is again saying that well, it's going to take two to three years to build a new a new embassy, so we'll have to wait for that. Well, they do have a fairly significant presence in Jerusalem in terms of consular, which actually. Serves as a sort of pseudo embassy to PLL, so you know we'll have to see if President Trump wants to make this problem even bigger than it already is. Well, for now, thank you very much for helping us get up close on an issue that, as I said before, will continue to rumble on for at least part of 2018. Will it be as overblown as it currently seems to be, um, drawing? everyone's attention, all the media outlets, all the leading commentators. Uh, But Zhong Huang, let me also wish you a very happy new year. We'll see you in 2018, I hope. Happy new year too. Zhong Huang, independent legal researcher with LawQuad LLC.